WHQR Public Media in Wilmington, North Carolina, this is Coastline. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn. Principal photography for the film Words on Bathroom Walls started in Wilmington in 2018. By the time the film was released in 2020, the pandemic had a stranglehold in the United States. North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper shut down movie theaters in late March. Five months later, in August, Words on Bathroom Walls opened. In those theaters, open for business in other states. North Carolina not among them, where movie theaters only reopened with capacity restrictions by early October. As producers and distributors scrambled to find a new business model, this sensitively crafted film about a teen boy battling schizophrenia received mostly favorable reviews, but struggled to gain a broader audience. The Mayo Clinic explained schizophrenia as a serious mental disorder in which people interpret reality abnormally, which can include hallucinations, delusions, and extremely disordered thinking and behavior. A 2017 article published in the American Journal of Psychiatry describes how the stigma that comes with it can make things worse, even precipitating psychotic episodes and triggering relapses. And that stigma can come in multiple forms, internally with an even worse self-image, socially, through isolation and rejection, and even on an institutional level in the form of discrimination, which is why the film Words on Bathroom Walls is hailed by some critics as a worthy step towards understanding. Adapted from the Julia Walton novel, the film tells the story of Adam. He sees people who aren't there. He hears voices. He witnesses phenomena not actually happening, and he feels the social isolation deeply. Hallucinations can be dramatic when people or rooms suddenly go up in flames, physical fights break out, inky black swirls form. And for a film, these effects require, yes, special effects, but also stunt performers. And that's where my guest today comes in. Peter King served as the stunt coordinator for this film, Words on Bathroom Walls. A sampling of his other credits include We're the Millers, Tammy, Vacation 2015, Under the Dome, and the new TV series, George and Tammy. Peter King, welcome to Coastline. Thank you very much. Very happy to be here. It's so good to have you with us. And a quick note, there's a free screening of Words on Bathroom Walls this Sunday, April 24th at 4 p.m. at The Point in Wilmington. Peter King will be there to answer questions after the film, courtesy of the North Carolina Filmmakers Series. Peter King, your wife also worked on this film as executive producer and unit production manager. And as I said in the introduction, it is about a topic we probably don't discuss publicly enough, But of all the films you could have chosen to highlight in the North Carolina Filmmakers series, why did you choose this one, Words on Bathroom Walls? I think the film is a very emotional film. I think with mental health issues and things like that that are in it, it's still a very entertaining film. And getting a message out is certainly a a priority, if you will, for the story of of of, uh, words. But... I think just the cast, everything else, you know, it has a tremendous cast. So I think they, uh, they the, as it came together and everybody was uh, trying to tell us what it was going to be, was it a supernatural film? Was it an action film? Was it, you know, it, and it really, when it comes down to it, using all those things with a cast that we had uh, with Walton Coggins and all the other people that are in it, it, it it's going to be 
it, it was the emotion part of it, I think, the emotional part of it. Yeah. But and being able to use all those things to actually tell that story and still get the point of schizophrenia out is also a bonus. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mentioned also your wife worked on this film. You both live in Wilmington, and we'll talk later about why you moved here and how you moved here. You've been here for a number of years now. You're raising a child together. But when you work on a film with your wife, <laughs> how do the two of you talk about it? Do you have similar schedules? Do you talk about what the film means? What What are dinner table conversations like? That's really funny you ask about the schedule. The schedule's never the same. However, having said that, once we're on a project, we definitely um, are on a project. So... You know, that even though we might have different call times uh, and certainly different duties, we're, we're definitely involved and uh, in, 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 uh, stuck with that schedule, you know, stuck with doing what we do. Uh, so when the food movie ends, of course, you know, then we have our free time. But the dinner table, there is no dinner table. <laughs> I <laughs> right. guess was the point of all that. Uh, yeah. At that point, we're just uh, always on set. Yeah. Uh, so as stunt coordinator, we, most people have heard about stunt performers and kind of probably imagine people jumping out of windows and landing in a, in a net below. But the stunt coordinator, what does that title mean? And what, it, what did it mean on this film where it's on bathroom walls? Being the stunt coordinator, safety is a big part of being on the set, of course. Uh, you know, designing what the action is, you know, what the written script actually says, and then being able to bring to the table what how we're going to accomplish that. Uh, and a lot of that with this film, even though it wasn't a heavy action film, there still were a few, um, uh, actually more than a few bits that we could actually bring into action, if you will. So uh, the, um, uh, you know, the way the script you know, again, that whole supernatural element really isn't supernatural. It's a real condition, you know, and I think that was one of the things, you know, with this film, you know, with the stunts not making it over the top so it didn't appear to be something that it wasn't, you know. Uh, again, trying to trying to be true to that, to to the mental illness part of it, you know, yeah. trying, to, trying not to overdo it. Yeah, um, and, and when the lead is seeing something crazy happening, like there's a scene early on in the film when smoke just starts coming out of the family kitchen and you realize as the viewer that this is one of his hallucinations because no one else is reacting to it. So it's an interesting way of helping the viewer understand what's real and what isn't. But how do you, because there was a special effects department also and Will Purcell, who has been interviewed on this show, was the special effects coordinator. So how do you and Will Purcell figure out what belongs in stunts? What belongs in special effects? Do you have to work on some of those together? Definitely, yeah. There's def there's definite marriage there of sorts, uh, and, and on every show, uh, some shows heavier than others. On words, uh, Will did a really good job of uh, providing a lot of those elements. You know, the smokes and the fires and things like that. That you know, we're in those hallucinations. But um, uh, working together and deciding what those are, a lot of times it's budget, a lot of times it's timing, a lot of, you know, it, it's, it's what our resources are and uh, what we're going to be allowed to do. Uh, certainly starts with the script page, though, as far as how it's written and what, what they're trying to uh, uh, prioritize as far as what's going to be on the screen from the page. And as you're going mm -hmm. through the script as well, mm -hmm. there are, and this probably varies from production to production, but there are scenes in which a character gets shoved to the floor 
And some actor might say, oh, I get shoved to the floor <laughs> in that scene. But you're, how do you think about that? Is that a stunt? And is that something that you're immediately thinking, I need to work on this with uh, one of my stunt performers, or I'm going to teach the actor how to do it? That's actually a really good way to put that. You know, as far as uh, it, it may sound like it's just a simple shove to the ground, but I've seen things go really bad where an actor just slips and falls and it, they break their shoulder, you know, and it just, it's just a freak accident. So when you see something written on a page where, you know, somebody's going to get pushed to the ground or whatever, instantly I start thinking, well, what's the ground? Is it, is it a wood floor? <laughs> is it concrete? Is, you know, is there a rug? Is there something I can hide underneath? The idea of not having to use a double to get the actor to be able to do it. Certainly, actors are going to be different sizes and shapes and ages and all those things. So are they able to do what we need them to do? And is it really just a simple fall? Do we really need to see them hit the ground? Can we just see the, the motion? Sometimes it's just a fake and the camera moves to something else before they actually hit the ground. So you, you can make it simpler that way. But it's never just an easy push to the ground. Trust me on that. <laughs> <laughs> so you've so. seen people actually get injured just from something that simple? Yeah. Now, and again, you know, calling it a stunt, it really, I mean, I wouldn't classify those things as stunts. However, they do fall, I would believe, under the stunt coordinator, making sure it's safe and making sure the actor can do it, making sure there aren't nails on the ground, you know, or broken glass, things like that. Uh, I know that sounds maybe a little outrageous, but you'd be surprised. It actually on, doesn't. On, on, it sounds really smart to me. I think uh, um, some of those times where you, I mean, sometimes the actors will just do it on their own, you know, and it doesn't even say it in the script and they just feel that they want to do a fall or something like that. So if the conversation hopefully will have been before they decide to do that with me and I can do something by pad them or pad the, room, pad the ground or something like that, but it doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes they'll just throw themselves on the floor and... And you're surprised you know, by and it. And everyone is. And, of course, if they do, I mean, even if it's just a scrape, everybody does tend to get excited about things like that, you know, especially if it's a bigger actor, you know, or bigger named actor, I should say. Right. Mm -hmm. And we'll get to some of the specific stunts that happened in this film in, in a moment. But what do you do when you see something in the script that does require a certain skill level from a stunt performer that you wouldn't want someone who's untrained to, to undertake. And you have an actor who's like, no, man, I can do that. I got this. I... <laughs> and you don't feel like he or she does. How do you, how do you navigate that? Yeah, that's definitely one of the bigger challenges. <laughs> uh, being a stunt coordinator, uh, again, there's all so many things that fall under that envelope. But what you just said right there is probably one of the more difficult things when you have an actor who wants to do their own stunts. And I mean, all from Tom Cruise down to, you know, somebody who's just getting into the business, you know, it, it doesn't matter what, when they want to do their own stunts. And it is something where you do need a specific skill set or the, the, the level of danger or, or the challenge of not being hurt doing it or making it look good. You know, just even like, again, being pushed to the ground. I mean, I've seen people overdo it and their arms are flopping in the air and, you know, they hit the ground and they get, you know, they, they, they say something like, wow, that hurt. And you're like, well, there's a way to do it where you're not throwing your arms in the air and just making, it, you know, exaggerating it and making it look too big. Right. So, so it has to do with the quality of the actual, like what I, you're going to get in the shot. Right. So using the actors sometimes makes that better if they can, are certainly capable of doing that. But having somebody with a specific skill set, that's where that would come in play with getting a double. 
You're listening to Coastline. Stunt coordinator Peter King is with us today. It's part of the North Carolina Filmmakers Series. Stay with us. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn for Coastline. listening to Coastline. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn. Being a stunt coordinator can mean different things on different productions. You might perform stunts. You might design them for others to perform. You might be coaching actors on simplified versions of them. Peter King does all of these things. And today, we're learning more about this behind-the-scenes world through his work as stunt coordinator on the 2020 film Words on Bathroom Walls. There's a free screening of Words on Bathroom Walls this Sunday, April 24th at 4 p.m. at the Point 14 in Wilmington. Peter King will be there to answer questions after the film. It's all courtesy of the North Carolina Filmmakers series. So, Peter King, let's get to some specific moments in Words on Bathroom Walls when your, uh, your expertise is required. There's one scene... That it's just a really memorable scene when the lead character is with his parents talking to the head of a Catholic school because he's been kicked out of public school. And she's a nun. The nun on fire scene. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So she's her headpiece ignites. And you're watching this. And of course, the parents aren't reacting at all. And the the lead is trying to answer questions, but he's being distracted by the flames shooting out of her head, and the, and then her office begins to ignite. I mean, it's a really dramatic film. So talk us through how this happened and how the actor, Beth Grant, who plays the nun, dealt with that. Well, first let me for sure say there was CG involved. There was some CGI? help with the fire. Yes. Yeah. Okay. okay. So, so uh, we did actually have practical fire, and uh, uh, our special effects team, Will Purcell, uh, did a great job with that. We did have a stunt double uh, for uh, for our, our actress, and we did actually have a prosthetic with uh, a wig that could actually burn, and there was there was a, a, a little bit of a, a propane kind of device that Will had made that we ran underneath the uh, costume and up behind underneath the wig and the headpiece, the headdress of the nun, which was on the stunt double, uh, not the actress, uh, and we actually did some of that fire. Meanwhile, in the background where the uh, bookshelves and things were, you know, all the different, there were different elements that were on fire. And then from there, you know, the computer does a lot more of the enhancing and whatnot. So it was never as big practically as what you actually see on screen. And I thought actually the CG looked pretty decent for what it was. You know, it did with the practical part of it and mixing it, I thought it came out well. Uh, and we did, he did, the actual bookshelf did fall and collapse and do all these things. But again, there was a little bit of trickery there. And with, so you had a stunt performer wearing the nun's habit. And was yes. this was this a female performer? Do, do stunt performers have to look like the actor? 
it helps. It helps tremendously. Uh, however, we do have uh, other departments which you know, hair, makeup, and things, uh, and with the costume, you'd be amazed just just wearing the same clothes. Uh, you make it. It gives you that double take. You Could know? you have done that? Could no, you no. have been the nun? Or well, or? we try to keep gender okay. correct for sure. Uh, there, there's there there are certain rules, but again, there's no reason to not use a female when we can. You know, when it's a female actress, uh, there there have been a lot of controversy with those kind of roles where uh, back, I would say, early, early in the business where there were no, there were really hardly any, if not any, there were no female stunt performers. And there were a few people that broke that, 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 that habit of uh, just using whoever was there. And uh, uh, now we have great female stunt performers. However, in that case, it was a female stunt performer and she did a great job. She, you know, it takes a little bit of nerve to let somebody light you on fire, even if it's just a little bit of fire. Yeah. Uh, and certainly. And your head. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, there's a lot of thing, a lot of preparation that goes in with that, you know, with treating the, the costume, treating, treating the fabrics. So only places that you want to burn will burn. Uh, same thing with the wig. Uh, and then putting some protective layers and things like that on the person. In this case, it wasn't that big of a fire, but we still went and we, we still put those protective layers in there just just in case things go out of control or whatever you want to do, however you want to word that, but keeping everything where it's supposed to be and not taking any chances whatsoever. You know, I'll always try to go that extra mile and make sure that we put those extra things in there. Right. So you try to imagine worst case scenario. Correct. You try mm-hmm. to imagine everything that can go wrong and set something up. To- yeah. I, I, every every stunt. Uh, if You know, I used to have these rules where, you know, like if I couldn't do the stunt myself, I would never ask somebody else to do it. And there, there was a lot. And I would try to pick shows based on that idea. You know, so like if it was a show that had like a lot of really, really big, heavy things that I wasn't comfortable doing or something I wouldn't be comfortable doing myself, I wouldn't really take that show. You know, I would look for a show that I would I would find that more of a comfort level, what my expertise was. Now, what's an example of a stunt that you just sort of feel like, eh, I don't wouldn't want to go there? Well, now I've been doing this for a long time, and, uh, and again, it's it's you know it, it it's somewhat somewhat boastful to say, and I shouldn't say things like that. But you know, I've done a lot of shows, and now to where I can feel comfortable doing just about anything. However, I wouldn't say that twenty years ago, or even fifteen years ago. Uh, so, like you know, uh, doing scenes where there's like uh, massive car crashes, multiple car crashes, flipping cars or, you know, cannon, you know, if it's a pipe ramp or a cannon, you know, that shoots the car in the air and there's several of them going off at the same time. It, it's it's one thing that when you have one vehicle in motion and doing something like that. It's another when you have a whole freeway and there's all these things going. So now I would be comfortable doing a scene like that. But first getting into the business, there's it, it, I wouldn't have done it. You know, I would have hired somebody or would have turned down the show. So... Mm. Do you find yourself in the role of teacher sometimes with stunt performers as well? Like you said to me when we first spoke that you have safety meetings relentlessly. And I'm the one who's saying relentlessly. You didn't describe it that way. but That's correct, though. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you talk about it in concept. You talk about it again. And then you always have a safety meeting right before you're ready to shoot. Correct. We have multiple safety meetings. You, you, that's that's correct assessment. So then, so take us to that moment before you're ready to shoot the nun on fire scene. Um, well, yeah, that'd be great. You know, and again, keep in mind, there's a lot of other things that already have happened. Right. You know, before we get to this point, but let's just say we actually have the stunt double. She's in her costume. She's in 
her position on her mark. And Will's got his magic all, you know, hidden properly to, you know, away from camera and in a way that he can actually start and, and stop the fire where, where he wants with a, a line of sight, eyesight, uh, and, of course, out of frame. And uh, we'll, the, one of the last things we'll do is we'll explain to everybody where all the exits are, things, you know, just kind of a lot of the standard things, you know, where something's wrong, say something, you know, all the, all the little check boxes checked of, of, of that scenario. But then we'll go the extra part and saying, okay, there's going to be specifically a person here to do this job, which would be like uh, when I do fire scenes, a lot of times I'll just have one person with a bucket of uh, a five-gallon bucket with water with towels in it. And so if somebody needs to run in, that one person can run in. And again, depending on what the actual specific stunt or fire is, that specific person will have a duty. So you don't have the Keystone Cops where everybody's just bumping into each other and nothing's getting done. And so do you have the authority as stunt coordinator to call it? Like if you see something's going wrong, is it on you and the director's rolling? Correct. Yeah. A lot of times it does. specifically fall on the stunt coordinator, but the first AD can sometimes do that too. You know, it just depends. Safety's everybody's responsibility, honestly. You know, I know that sounds like a poster, but... (laughs) Well, it should be. But yes, it does fall on the stunt coordinator's shoulders. You know, if something does go wrong, that's who they're usually going to go to. Uh, And then, of course, when it goes right, you know, you get that glory too. Yeah. Yeah. So in this film, this 2020 film, Words on Bathroom Walls, part of Adam's hallucinations include this cadre it's a trio that of people <laughs> that are with him all the time these people don't actually exist but there's a young woman who's uh sort of like a flower child and everything is love and expansive and wonderful and this rob yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's uh another teenager who's pretty much driven by teenage hormones all the time and then there's this older guy who looks he's the like the bodyguard played Lobo. by Lobo Sebastian yeah he's so great walks around with a baseball bat and he's ready to be there if Adam is feeling emotionally vulnerable in any way so how much did you have to work with I mean especially I'm thinking about Lobo Sebastian um, in terms of fight choreography how Such you... a good cast, wasn't it? I yeah, mean... <laughs> it really it was. was. I, I, one of the reasons I really like this movie is it was such a good cast. Yeah. Uh, from everyone. Uh, anyway, yes, I'm sorry. Um, uh, Lobo was fantastic. And, and, you know, people, actors like that, they bring, uh, Walton's the same way, uh, Walton Coggins. He's got, they, they have a lot of experience. They have a lot of skill set themselves. He played you know? Walton, uh, Walter Coggins played uh, the stepfather. Correct. Right? Uh, yeah. Walton, yes. Walton. Yes. Yeah. And uh, uh, he played Paul. And uh, I've actually worked a few shows with Walton. So that's another th- nice thing is you have a familiar- uh, familiarity with the actor. So when you go to th- that show and you have already have that, it-, it goes a lot smoother a lot of times. <laughs> yeah. So, so did so did Walton Coggins have to do stunts as well? Or? Not on this show. Okay. Uh, not on, on, on uh, words. Um, he there, there was really – when there was a scene where those characters are tearing up – the kitchen and Walton's in the kitchen and we we had him close to swinging bats and breaking glass and things like that. I mean, that, to me, that does fall in that category of stunts. However, he was really just sitting there and we just had to put things in place and make sure that everybody was doing what they were doing so it didn't get too close to him. And of course, he knew where everything was. We rehearsed it. We would rehearse it and, and uh, the breakaway glass and things like those uh, props that were in place, they would be put in specific places. So when they did get hit or broken or smacked, we knew where they would go. 
So having said that, the fights with you know uh, Lobo and 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 um, uh, and, and the other uh, uh, when there were other tracksuit guys that were there, yeah, we would we would rehearse those things. Lobo had great. The bat was I I, I think the bat was his idea. I, I'm not sure about that, but for some reason I think he was the one that like I need something and you know give me something you know. And I think the the aluminum bat was something that he had come up with. And uh, we, um, I'll, I'll give him credit for it anyway, because he looks great with it. He's always got it, and he's always, you know, using it to project what he's doing. But, uh, but he kind of brought that to the table. Like he already knew how to swing a bat. Let's say, you know, not to oversimplify it, but he kind of already knew how to do all that stuff. It was just putting him in a position and making sure he's not swinging it at somebody's head. <laughs> right. So, how do you do that on a set? I mean, is that something that you work through slowly, like choreographing a dance, or how do you put yeah, it a- together? It's a lot like that. So the choreography is, you know, I mean, even doing car work, it's a lot of choreography. You know, it's and it is a lot like dance. And, and martial arts plays a lot in that with uh, with stunts. You know, a lot of martial artists. And the reason I bring that up is there's a lot of martial artists that become stuntmen, or they stuntmen practice a lot of martial arts. And it, a lot of that's just so they can learn these routines. They can learn the choreography and people who are better at it, you can tell are better martial artists because they can pick things up quicker. And a lot of the actors that we work with, they you can tell which ones, they, they have some background, dance, martial arts, something like that, because they can pick these routines up really fast and they can mimic quickly with whatever you're trying to teach. So sometimes it's easier than others. It's not that hard of a teach. It's not that hard of a, you know, you know when you're Swinging bats, you know, they have control where that bat goes. They know how they're not swinging for the fences. You know, it's like you can, but it looks like you're swinging for the fences. You know, those kind of things. You're listening to Coastline. With us today, Peter King, stunt coordinator for TV and film productions. A sampling of his credits include Under the Dome, George and Tammy, We're the Millers, Tammy starring Melissa McCarthy, and the 2020 film Words on Bathroom Walls. There's a free screening of Words on Bathroom Walls this Sunday, April 24th at 4 p.m. at the Point 14 in Wilmington. Peter King will be there to answer questions after the film. And, of course, this is all courtesy of the North Carolina Filmmakers Series. Peter King, getting into the stunt department is a, is a pretty interesting career turn for a, for a lot of people. Did you start out in the film business wanting to become a stunt coordinator? Not really. I, you know, when I, I didn't know anything about movies other than when I went to see the films, they were fantastic, and movie stars were movie stars, and you know, it would to me it was like a whole fantasy thing, uh, fantasy land to be part of or even be behind the scenes, even close to it. I was just like anyone else, you know, as exciting as can be. You know, when I first got the chance to cross that line and be on a movie set and learn who did what. It was a it was a whole new world, and I I didn't know what a stunt person was. I didn't know what a special effects person was. I didn't know what a grip was, and learning all that, you know, quickly I gravitated towards the special effects and the stunts. You know that that was something that I I, I seemed to I had background in a lot of things I did. I had uh, previous work that I had before I got into the film business. I dealt with um, a lot of explosives and things working with the government. So I had licenses that wait, allowed. Wait wait a second. You so. can't just drop that like a small detail and move on. So before <laughs> you got into the film business, is this classified stuff? You had 
a lot of access to explosives, and you worked with the government. Yeah, no, it's not. It, it's not as cool as I would like it to be. <laughs> I, like I was James Bond or something. But no, I, I worked for the State Department, and I uh, was more of a gopher than anything. But I, but as I had worked through the different departments, um, I had, I had gotten in with uh, the, these guys who let me go to these seminars and then we would teach these seminars. So and these seminars had a lot to do with explosive devices and things like uh, that go that make bangs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, so I would have to have licenses and things and I have to go to these classes and, and, and to be able to even attend them, let alone be able to teach them. So eventually that's what happened. It went from me, you know, just being able to, um, you know, assist at these things to where actually I w would teach these classes. You know, and that didn't go without getting the experience. I had to go to seminars. I had to go in the field and actually do things. Uh, with explosives that, you know, that they, these guys would do. And a lot of that was just, you know, like mo working at mines, working at, um, um, you know, not doing government work or anything like that, you know. But when it came into destructive devices, that was something that uh, that was just a whole new branch that I was starting to get into. The, the, the federal and the state licenses that you need in order to do these things kind of work with the film business you know it's like the, it's almost like the same licenses so the pyrotechnics that the special effects guys would would have they would need something similar if not the same thing and california has like uh, there was like a what they call the one card it's you know there it, it takes a while to get it because you have to have a three card and then a two card and to get the one card but it's basically levels of pyrotechnics that you can do in the film business based on that and all the other states basically go off of that program there are some that have their own, but for the most part, California is kind of the top of that tier. Hence, that's where the business is anyway. Anyway, I did get that one card, and then I also have some federal licenses, and that helped me with special effects, doing a lot of pyrotechnics. And then I had learned what stunt people do because it involves people a lot of times. You're setting people on fire, your bullet hits, making it look like they've been shot. Those are all little pyrotechnic devices. You know, Even if it's just in the wall, gunfire into the wall or breaking breaking a window you know that, that's a pyrotechnic device that does that so that kind of made me more interested in stunts because I liked to see I wanted to be that person that was getting blown up <laughs> I know that sounds weird <laughs> but it was all pretend right yeah. you know uh, and uh, it, and your first job mm -hmm. uh, you were not necessarily a trained stunt driver at this point but you had to drive a DeLorean over a dirt berm in the desert yeah I you know I was lucky enough to meet some people in the business that were already doing big shows and uh, there was a, a movie back to the future that, that uh, I had was a guest on uh, and uh, I was able to work a little bit on the film as like I say being lucky enough to be a guest and that was again the first movie set I'd ever been on uh, they let me drive the DeLorean and they let me jump it over this dirt berm. And I probably would get in trouble for saying that but <laughs> at the time. But it's been, I think, what, 30 it's years? It's enough it's years. Been, yeah. Nobody's going to go back and <laughs> get anybody into trouble. But that was my first taste. And that, at that point, uh, I think Christopher Lloyd and um, Michael J. Fox, they were like the first two movie stars I ever physically met in person. And it was like I couldn't believe it. I think I was 21 years old. I don't, you know, my so you're invited onto this set, on this location shoot, as a guest to just sort of observe and hobnob. Yeah, and then they're like, hey, we, we need a guy to drive the DeLorean over a dirt. Uh, you, you look, I mean, really? 
it's a bit outrageous, but I was actually the guest of the stunt coordinator on the show. Okay. And, and that's uh, and it kind of evolved to as a joke uh, that you can't <laughs> drive this, you can't drive that. And the the funny story was is. I was on a in an old car in the scene, and they kicked me out of the scene, and I thought I did something wrong. But it was the exhaust pipe was broken on that car, and it was making too much noise. But I didn't know the rules. I didn't know how that worked. I thought I had done something wrong. You're listening to Coastline. It's an exploration of the world of stunt performing in film and TV with stunt coordinator Peter King. We'll hear about one of Peter King's scarier moments getting out of a burning house in just a moment. Stay with us. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn for Coastline. listening to Coastline, I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn. When you watch a film and perhaps see a character get shoved to the ground, you might not think that was a stunt you just witnessed. Or when special effects require an actor to stumble out of a burning building, it's a different performer than the hero you've been cheering on throughout the film. Today, we're talking with stunt coordinator Peter King about how he got into this rarefied world of stunt performing and how he keeps safety front of mind. There is a free screening of Words on Bathroom Walls this Sunday, April 24th at 4 p.m. at the Point 14 in Wilmington. Peter King will be there to answer questions after the film, and it's all courtesy of the North Carolina Filmmakers Series. So, Peter King, there's this one time you have to come bursting through the door of a burning house. And this is, was this the TV series Matlock? No, it was actually, it was... We were on the back lot of Universal Studios, and it was Matlock's house. So it was one of the, it was well known. The, the back lot of Universal, they have a bunch of these uh, streets, you know, and they call it Colonial Street. And there's a lot of famous places like the Munsters House and Matlock's House, and you know, back then you would recognize a lot of these places. They're probably no longer there anymore. They probably rebuilt them. However, we're inside the Matlock House. Okay. <laughs> I'm on fire. <laughs> so it's not the Matlock series. No, it's not. But the Matlock we're series. inside the Matlock house. No, we're inside the Matlock okay. house. You know, okay. Uh, which, by the way, is the, the this is the house. Um, it's I believe it was the first house on the street uh, as you turn onto the onto the street. Which again, this is all in the back lot. You know, uh, so it's not a real street, but right. It looks like a neighborhood. Right. Okay. So we're on the set, and the house has to be on fire. Yeah. So so the house is on fire, and there's the film crew outside of the front door and there's a porch. Uh, so the front door is elevated off of the ground, you know, and there's like a, a porch that's, I don't know, six, 10 feet before you get to the steps and then you step down onto the grass. And there's maybe three or four steps off of the porch down to the ground. So the door is, special effects has got everything rigged up. The door is actual balsa wood. It's not a real door. So it's kind of scored and, and made out of a wood that that I can kind of kick and break as, and make it look like I'm busting through the door. And I'm completely on fire, head to toe, and suited up, full gel, full mask, hooded, several hoods, what layer, it, what several is layers. A suit, what is a burn suit made of? Like, what, is, what are you wearing? So 
under the costume, which is I'm made to look like this, uh, uh, and I'll, I'll get we'll, we, I'll get into what it's for. But basically, I'm made to look like this um, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre looking guy, right? So I'm wearing like a jumpsuit kind of deal, and uh, and I don't have anything in my hands, but I got to crash through and kind of charge at the people as I come out of the front door. So the the ceiling in the house, um, we're out, we're just now inside, like kind of the uh, foray, you know, just inside the front door. And everything's prepped. Effects has got all the basically um, all the drywall to protect all the floor and the ceiling, everything. And I'm wearing layers of Nomax PBI and Carbon X, which are like different materials that are treated so they don't burn, and they will protect me from getting burnt. They'll also try to cool and not be hot. You know, there's like a little bit of a layer they create. You know, so even though my costume's fully on fire, and there's an accelerant that's on that costume that actually is making the fire. At some point, it, if you burn long enough, it'll burn through these layers. So it only gives you so much protection. And then there's a stunt gel that we have, which is a, a mixture of things that uh, is basically a gel that, that uh, like it sounds, it's just like goopy mess, you know, that you put on all over you. And you do that kind of the last thing. You do it through different stages. But the last thing you do is just slop up the stuff, you throw your hood on. And I'm, I'm. And is that gel supposed to protect you more? Yeah, it does. It does. It protects you a lot more. And again, all these things are just you're just biding your time, right? So, but the bigger so problem. So, how much time do you have? Well, oxygen is the biggest problem you're going to have because at some point you can't breathe uh, anything, right? So you can't, you know, they can't breathe the air. They got these hoods on. You got all this gel. You know, you basically got to hold your breath. So one of the tricks. This, uh, an old-time stunt guy had showed me as I had taken a wet sponge and I put that in my mouth. And right before we go, uh, this wet sponge is in my mouth and I pull the hoods over and the hoods have pyrodex lenses so I can see. There's like glass I can see through. So I, it's, and they just, they light me up. You know, they have accelerant all over me. It's like the, the flames are so high and so big, they're going onto the ceiling, which has drywall and bouncing back down on top of me. So it's like I'm in a furnace. And, you know, the height of the ceiling isn't that high, but having said that, the flames are still big enough that it's going up and down. And I have to run. I'm about two feet from the door, and I have to run through the door. I have to get a little bit of momentum to, to crash through this door so it'll make it look like I have all this energy going out the door. So the guys light me up. And remember, that gel that I'm talking about, you know, it's, it's now they just, they're, trying to, they're just slopping it on me. So it's like on the floor. It's all over. I start kind of doing the Barney Rubble. And I start sliding and slipping, and I don't make it through the door, and I, I charge through there, and I bounce off kind of the side of the door and don't really quite throughout. Now I'm confused. I don't know where I'm at because I can't see very well. I can't breathe. I'm still holding my breath. And I can feel somebody grab me, point me to the door, and shove me. <laughs> they, so I get the, I run through the door, crash through the door. I come out. I'm probably now a good 15 seconds into the burn which is really the plan burn, which should have been about 20 seconds, which is an eternity when you're on fire like this. And, and you can't breathe. And I can't breathe. And I don't want to breathe because at this point I'll be breathing fumes and hot air. It, I mean, it'll burn my lungs. So now remember, I had this sponge in my mouth. Right. I'm not breathing. But what it will do in a minute here is as I charge out, I crash down, I go down, I fall down the stairs, <laughs> I get up on my feet and I try to run towards people that are staged where I'm supposed to, you know, chase. And then I finally, I, I'm done. I go drop to my knees and I do the signal and everybody starts putting me out. Right before I'm, I can't breathe. At this point, I've used so much energy and now 20 seconds is 30 seconds and I'm trying to get the hoods off. I spit that sponge out and it 
pops open in front of my face and it gives me just enough barrier away from the hood and, 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 it, and it's wet. So it lets me take a breath. And that's the only reason I didn't black out is because I was able to breathe through that, take one breath through that sponge. And of course, now with all that goop and with the hoods on there, it actually sucks onto your face. You can't, you can't get them off. They're trying to peel them off. So that there, now there's more seconds that are burning. So now 30 seconds I did the burn. Now I'm, I, I'm past a minute at this point trying to get these hoods off, trying to breathe. Of course, I'm out of fire, but now everything's really hot. The only place I got burnt, they finally get the hoods off. I take a breath and I, I, I sit up and I kind of sit down on my calves. You know, it's like if you sit, if you're on your knees and you were to just sit down, all that heat and everything from my butt touching the calves as I, as the weight of my body, as I sit down on it, just seared the back of my calves. <gasps> gave me your like a second degree burn. Butt gave you yeah. a second degree burn on just, your calves? Yeah, just because of the heat transfer of me compressing and pushing all that heat. Up, all, that's how hot the wardrobe was and all the layers of, of uh, Carbon X and whatnot that were on me. It actually burned my skin underneath as I, as I sat down on it. So how close are we to calling it at this point and saying we can't do this? No, it's, no, well, it, because it's done what if at that you had point. Slipped it? Right, yeah. So, so we're outside and you're – but was there ever a moment when you're still inside the house and you slipped and you are having a hard time getting up? Is there ever a point where you're thinking, I might need to call this? I might so need to. We did this nine times. <laughs> what? Yes, it was. And, and, and again, some people won't believe that, but I did that full body burn nine times. And by the way, this is early on in my career. I would never do this again, and I would never ask anybody else to do this again. We had planned to do it 12 times. I don't know why I thought I could do it 12 times, but the fact that I did it nine times was I was completely exhausted, completely yeah. spent. It doesn't sound like a long time, but even a 20-second burn. Yeah. I mean, there's so much that goes into it and, and your adrenaline and everything else. I, and, and, and I'm not embarrassed to say I did almost black out. You know, it, and it, you know not being able to breathe and being that, that jacked up on all the adrenaline and everything else and trying to make your marks and trying to do all that. By the time we got to the ninth time, that's when I was like, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. So looking back on it, knowing what you know now and having the experience that you have, how many times would it have been appropriate to do a burn like that? If I were to do that same stunt, the same event, I would have lined up several people and I would have said, okay, you're going to do two burns. You're going to do two burns. You're going to, you know, depending on how many we needed to get done. Right. You know, I would have split it up and even doing a second burn, you know, it's like it it would take somebody knowing what I know now, it would take somebody with a lot of experience. It's interesting because there are some elements of your work that do seem to have very clear protocols. There are regulations, for instance, in terms of uh, who can work with pyrotechnics or explosives. And then there are other situations where it seems like it's sort of the Wild West. We hear stories <laughs> about, you know, choices not made with the actor's safety in mind. And the, a famous story that comes to mind is Uma Thurman. She talked to the New York Times about... Um, Kill how, Bill. Yeah. Uh, Quentin Tarantino mm -hmm. forced her to drive a stunt car. She was afraid... Um, of course, Tarantino has his own defense of, of that story, but he does say that it's one of the greatest regrets of his career and his life that he asked her to do that. Could something like that happen? I mean, she did get seriously injured. Yes, she when did. It, it, went, it mm -hmm. did go wrong, and mm -hmm. she was injured, and she says she still has, um, you know, it's, things aren't fully healed. So it injured her in some ways permanently. Could that happen today? Unfortunately, I, I don't. I want to say no. I, I, I mean, but unfortunately, it does happen. I mean, I've 
that particular situation, there definitely is a his and her story. But the end result is, is there was an accident. There was an incident, you know, uh, and, and she did get hurt. You know, she got hurt mentally as much as she did physically. Yeah. You know, and those things are, they're hard to recover from. And, you know, I think a lot of the way those things happen, it's not like there was an intention that we're going to do this and Uma Thurman's going to get hurt. I don't believe that. Right. I think what had happened is it escalated to a point where it finally got to where no one, and again, I'm not, I was not there, but I could see with past experiences where you could, things can escalate. And if you don't pull back and don't have the strength or the experience to say, no, stop, we're not doing this. Or, you know, inter- inject some like, like I, I always have this thing. I don't want to ever say no, but so I try to give an alternative reason. So I'm not going to say no, but we're going to stop this and do this instead, you know, which is no. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. But it, yeah. Uh, just a more diplomatic mm-hmm. way of saying Th- That's it. the idea. It's yeah. got to be hard to face down mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino. Who, oh, for sure. You know, mm-hmm. is a powerful guy in both just, you know, his physical presence. And I've, I've had I've had Oliver Stone scream and yell at me, throw scripts at my face. I've had uh, I've had several directors, Peter Weir. He, you know, I mean, again, I'm not trying to call these guys out, but right. I mean, they're you, you know, I understand it's a very high tense, you know, adrenaline. There's so much. I mean, the movie sets are crazy places. I mean, the level of, of everything is 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 to 11 on a movie set. Right. Uh, and, and on any given day. So I think that, uh, you know, to be fair, you know, emotions, people don't handle them as well as they could have. And hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, I think those situations happen quite a bit. Just curious. We've we've talked about the shooting on this uh, the set of Rust. Uh, Alec yes. Baldwin mm-hmm. actually wound up killing the cinematographer. Very unfortunate. Yeah. And there's, of course, been a lot of talk in the industry and outside the industry about what went wrong. Do you have thoughts on that? It's crazy that that could happen. That, I mean, I was shocked that that could happen. I've seen some really egregious things happen on a movie set, and, and I've tried to stop them and have used those, those, those things to make me a better stunt coordinator going forward. You know, Not that I was ever responsible for those things, and I've made mistakes, I'm sure. However... That is inexcusable how that and, and I've, I've talked to people that were on set and, and of course there's a lot of different stories and different variations. But the end result is I, I just still I still can't get that out of my head how he could have done what he did, you know, by pointing and pulling a trigger at, some, at somebody like that. I, I just I just think, again, not being there, I hate to always say things about where I couldn't personally witness it. But I do feel that that 100 percent did not need to happen. Part of your work as a stunt coordinator is flying people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you t- you talk about flying people a lot. So, yeah, what does that mean? And how has flying people changed over the years versus, you know, today versus, say, E.T.? Yeah, they're a good example. E.T., they used piano wire, single-strand piano wire to fly that little boy with an alien on his bike. I mean, crazy to think about that. Now we use— Why is that crazy? Is that dangerous or risky? Well, piano wire is very, very strong, but it's one wire. So if you get a nick in it, it becomes very not strong. <laughs> so, I mean, and there's weight limits and things like that on all kinds of, so you use different gauges and so forth. But it, it went from piano wire to like aircraft cable, which was like a seven strand. And this, it had basically, it's, it's seven pieces of cable wrapped around 18 pieces of cable or something of that you know nature it's a, it's a pattern basically and it's very strong and you could make it very small so you can use like eighth uh, eighth uh, diameter 
uh, widths, you know, and it, you can hold a lot of weight with that, and, or a quarter inch and so on. So basically, you could have the small wire, which is what piano wire was. And piano, they used piano wire because you didn't see it. You know, the camera didn't see it, right? Well, now we have computers that can erase anything. You can, you can use a 10-foot rope and, you know, a lot of, you know, if you have the budget, you can make it go away. So now we have the, you know, aircraft cables now become, you know, um, tech line, which is, you know, it's a uh, synthetic line. You know, it's soft, it's pliable, it's it's very friendly, you know, it's uh, cable, whereas cable, you know, it's, it's, it's rough. If you touch it or hit it or anything like that, it could, it could uh, make marks on you. Not that the, not that the... Uh, uh, tech line can't, but the point is, is it, it's much more easier to be around. However, there are places that you still use cable and in, in high friction and high heat areas, you would still use a cable. But technical side, it's come a long way with the materials, the harnesses, uh, the uh, uh, the shivs. Uh, there's a, uh, a fellow named Matt Sweeney, special effects genius. Uh, he's been in the business forever. And uh, uh, he makes these shivs in the business that are no one can make them better. I mean, it's, it's kind of the standard. Um, and there, there, are, there are good shivs out there, but he's the one that he comes up with the best ones. And, they, and again, these are designed in a way that help you be able to fly and manipulate a person's body in a way that you couldn't do, you know, 30 years ago. We're just about out of time. If somebody's starting in the business and they want to be you, what's the one bit of advice you would give them? Mm, that's a hard question. It's <laughs> a, such, a, such a tricky business to get into. But I would just say... Try to listen more, keep your mouth closed, and pay attention. (laughs) Good advice. And that's this edition of Coastline. Peter King, what a pleasure having you with us today. Thank you very, very much. Coastline's technical director is Ken Campbell. Jonathan Fernell engineered this episode. Coastline is a production of WHQR Public Media. You can find this episode at whqr.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn for Coastline.